The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Skin care and plastic surgery are hot topics these days. Let Dr. Rubenstein answer your questions and explain what you'll want to look for in aesthetic products and cosmetic procedures. Get ready for a discussion about all things aesthetic. Now, live from Miami, Florida, American Board Certified Plastic Surgeon, Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Welcome to New Reflections. You know, New Reflections is a show where we talk about everything having to do with health, wellness, and beauty. And of course, it has a plastic surgeon. We frequently talk about cosmetic procedures. This week, something a little different. It is certainly health-related, but it's a topic that's very uh, popular right now, very controversial. The name of the show this week is Smoke Up or Smoke Out? The marijuana controversy. We're going to talk about marijuana. We're going to have a, a great lineup of guests. We have a, a terrific discussion that's about to be had with three guests this week, uh, starting with David Evans, who's an attorney and he's an expert in drug and alcohol litigation. He's going to speak about the ills of legalizing marijuana use. We have uh, Chris Hermes, who is a social activist and representing Americans for Safe Access, talking about medical marijuana. And rounding out the panel, we've got Alan St. Pierre, who's the executive director of Normal, who is an organization that supports the legalization of marijuana for recreational use. So we're going to have a, a great discussion looking at all sides of the issue. Now, let's talk a little bit about marijuana and its history. Now, this dates back thousands of years, and there's evidence of use of marijuana as early as 3000 B.C., where some charred seeds of cannabis were found at, a, at an ancient burial site. Now, this, of course, continues into more modern times. In fact, there were some residue found in pipes from Shakespeare's garden, and there's, there's some conjecture that some of the things he wrote about it referred to the use of marijuana. Now, it hasn't been all roses. Marijuana was actually made illegal. It was outlawed in, uh, for the first time in Washington, D.C. in 1906. And medical use has been legalized, and that's a controversial subject because there's questions over state law versus federal law. Right now, there's, over the last few years, there's been anything, uh, anything from, uh, 18, uh, 16 to 18 to 20 states that, uh, including Washington, D.C., by the way, that have legalized the use of marijuana. Uh, and there's there's been conjecture, the studies have shown about 11.5% of all Americans, that's over 25 million people, used marijuana last year. Now, there have been some problems with the use of marijuana as well. You look at how it impacts people's lives. There's one study that shows 200,000 students were denied financial aid for previous drug convictions. And now when you were talking about convictions for marijuana, 30% of convictions last year were under the age of 19 years old. So this is a problem that really pervades all ages and throughout all socioeconomic background as well. Now, here's the thing. When you look at what's more popular, even though marijuana use for recreation is illegal, 22.6% of high school seniors over the last 30 days, this is based on data from 2011 actually, 22.6% of high school seniors use marijuana. When you can, when you contrast that with cigarettes, only 18.7% 
So, you know, there's about a 20% greater use of marijuana compared to cigarettes in high school seniors. So, you know, this is really getting down into teenage kids. And the, the flip side to that is we spend a tremendous amount of money trying to prevent people from using marijuana. In fact, 10 billion tax dollars per year, this is an estimated number, were spent on the prohibition of marijuana. I mean, it's a tremendous machine that has to be produced and run just to keep people from being able to use it. So let's talk about the problem. Let's talk about the situation. I want to introduce our first guest, David Evans, who, who is an attorney and he's an expert, recognized expert in drug and alcohol litigation. And it's his view that we should not legalize the use of marijuana. So, uh, David, welcome to New Reflections. And you left a lot of things out. Um, problem with marijuana is the public's perception of marijuana is about 30 years old. Uh, marijuana today is a lot different than it was years ago. Uh, it is the number one drug that kids are in drug treatment for in the United States. It is addictive. Uh, we are seeing data now out of California that there's more drug driving under marijuana or it's equal to uh, alcohol-related driving. Um, we have uh, a lot of industrial problems, industrial productivity problems, industrial accidents, motor vehicle crashes as a result of marijuana use. Uh, we have a host of health problems that are caused by uh, marijuana use. There's a, a three studies now indicated connection with birth defects, uh, testicular cancer, respiratory problems. Uh, in the last couple of years, there's been a host of studies coming out showing a clear connection between marijuana use and the onset of mental illness. That uh, doesn't mean everybody who smokes pot goes crazy, but people that have a... Uh, predisposed to mental illness if they use marijuana, it kicks them on over. So this is a dangerous, toxic drug, and I think if people looked at the recent studies, uh, they would change their perception. And the pro-marijuana people are doing everything they can to portray this as a benign, harmless herb, and it is far, uh, far from that. So well, well I, think there's, I think there's agreement in terms of benign and harmless. You know, those are two, they're not mutually exclusive terms, I think. We'll, we're going to discuss that today and, and really get to the bottom of it. You mentioned a couple things that we're going to get into. And let me let me explain to the listeners, the format today is going to be a little bit of introduction from each of our guests. And then we're going to go around the horn on each of these subjects, because you did touch on a couple of these issues that I think are, are going to be at the, at the crux of this debate. And one of them, of course, there are certain effects of marijuana that are, are well established. I think you're right. It is not an entirely a benign uh, drug or, you know, substance to use. And, you know, it's hard to call it a drug, a drug in the sense of illegal drug, but, you know, part of the problem is it's not classified as a drug in a number of states. And by federal law, it's actually an illegal controlled substance. It's by the Controlled Substance Act, and this is something I'm sure you're aware of, Controlled Substance Act in 1970, that made marijuana illegal to use, buy, sell, grow, or even possess. In fact, it classified marijuana as a Schedule One substance, which means there's no approved medical use in the eyes of the federal government, according to this act of 1970. Uh, right, and that, and that uh, by the way, that scheduling of marijuana was just upheld by uh, a federal appellate court in a case that just came out a couple of days ago. Yeah, that, well, that's, that's true. And actually, it was uh, the, the problem. And what, what I wanted to ask you is, what is your view? Obviously, the Supreme Court ruled in 2005 
that federal law is it must be upheld despite any local or state laws. And you know that that was a, a Supreme Court decision uh, specifically relating to marijuana convictions, uh, and that that seems to be the way things are looking. But the the people that argue against it, and I'm sure we'll get into this uh, with our next guest, is that the the argument for the responsible medical use of marijuana hasn't really been heard in Congress. What's your feeling? Well, on I would disagree with that. I mean, the the Congress decided to have it kept as a Schedule One drug, and Congress decided that uh, it did not have legitimate medical use. And the uh, Federal Court of Appeals uh, has also just looked at that issue and uh, come down with a ruling, and Americans for Safe Access was the party in that case. They lost the case. Supreme Court has looked at it also uh, and did not overturn it being a, you know, a Schedule One drug. Um, what the Court of Appeals said was that, you know, the DA has looked at the studies. Uh, the studies uh, are not sufficient, not adequate to show that it has legitimate medical use. Uh, I don't know of a single national medical organization that has supported smoking marijuana as a medicine. In fact, all of them are against smoking marijuana as a medicine. Um, some of these organizations are in favor of researching cannabinoids. Uh, I'm in favor of researching cannabinoids. There already are two FDA-approved medicines based on cannabinoids. There's a third one coming into the FDA called Sativix, which will be an oral spray. I have no problem with that. If it goes through the FDA process, we know then what is the proper dose. We know how it cross-reacts with other medicines. We know how it, uh, you know, deals with other bodily systems, and we have a lot of information on it. You know, for example. Uh, smoking marijuana is harmful to people with HIV infection. Now, Harvard Medical School did a study showing that if you ingest marijuana in any form, it can kick you from having HIV into Kaposi's sarcoma. This is the kind of thing which is a fatal form of cancer that people with AIDS die from. This is the kind of thing we find out if we go through the FDA process. What uh, normal and American safe access one is to bypass the FDA process all right, well, hold on, hold on. Let me, let's not, uh, you know, we have them here, and, and let's not put words okay. in their mouth. Let them, let them argue their case. Uh, I think you'll, right. you'll agree, you'll so agree with that. I, um, I, I'm in favor of it. I haven't seen any, uh, you know, FDA quality peer reviewed studies that have been published in reputable journals that are, that have a sufficient population in the study, uh, to convince me that there's any medical value in smoking marijuana. Uh, All right, now just just to be clear, just to be clear, when you're referring to smoking marijuana, as you, as you just recently stated, uh, there's a difference between smoking it and ingesting it, and ingesting it as a, a medication is something that people are doing. But just for but, but people's uh, understanding, you know, we're talking about cannabinoids. Smoking it, that's mostly how it's used. Well, I understand. We're talking about that's recreational use, but medical use is, is also smoked. And the, one of the arguments for that is the rapid response to smoking versus the sometimes uh, one to two hours that are necessary for the effect to take from right, ingested. Doctor, you should know this. No medicine is smoked. And the reason that no medicine is smoked is because you can't control the dosage. Also, if the medicine goes in quicker, now if you've got nausea or pain, you're going to want something that is going to provide coverage for that over a period of time. So you want something that is released over a period of time. If you have nausea, um, you know, when you go to sleep, you can't smoke marijuana when you're asleep. So it's far better to take Marinol, which is approved by the FDA based on cannabinoids, 
or Chesimet, which is another cannabinoid based medicine approved by the FDA, and use that. Well, you know, really I, I have never, way. I have to say, I've, I've never tried either, and uh, not, I'm not trying to be a prima donna about it. I've simply never tried any of it. And right. the point is that until you've had that type of nausea and tried both, it's hard to say which would be better. So I'm not going to opine on that. But well, I, well, certainly we have, there's we have a lot. We produced a list of about 20 medicines that are approved for chemotherapy nausea, for example. Oh. Sure, sure. Uh, that have already been proven to be safe and effective by the FDA. Uh, there's oh, no fair. need to fair smoke point. marijuana for that. Well, fair, fair point that there are alternatives, but if that were the argument against trying other things, then we'd never have any progress. But, you know, let's, uh, your point is well taken. I think you're, you, you've got a lot to add here, uh, specifically looking at, at medical marijuana and particularly recreational use, but you were talking about the ASA uh, involved in the, in the recent case, and it's the Americans for Safe Access. I, I want to give them their time to speak, and I want to introduce our next guest, which is uh, Chris Hermes, who's a, a longtime social activist and uh, an expert in the use of medical uh, marijuana and uh, representing the Americans for Safe Access, which is an organization that supports and tries to further the access to medical marijuana. So, Chris, thanks for calling and welcome to New Reflections. Thank you for having me. Okay. Well, you know, we had a, a, a bit of an introduction on the topic and even a, a bit of an introduction to uh, Americans for Safe Access. Tell us a little bit about Americans for Safe Access and then give me some background on uh, the uses of medical marijuana that, that you guys support and we'll get a, a little bit of a rebuttal to what David was saying about uh, alternatives and the lack of, of controlled studies looking at the use of marijuana. Sure, sure. There's, there was a, a considerable amount of misinformation uh, conveyed uh, by the last guest that I'd like to clear up. But uh, first, uh, Americans for Safe Access was formed in 2002 uh, when the Bush administration was engaging in a significant number of aggressive uh, SWAT-style raids in California on medical marijuana growers. And we came out to oppose those raids, that, that aggressive response to uh, people who are, who are simply trying to abide by uh, California's uh, recently passed medical marijuana law. Well, in fact, it, it had been passed uh, six years prior to our organization's formation. Uh, but the Bush administration was still uh, on the attack and continued to attempt to undermine California's medical marijuana law up to uh, his his uh, last days in office. Uh, of course, the Obama administration has has carried on that fight um, in, a, in a very aggressive way, even even more aggressive than his predecessor uh, George W. Bush. Uh, so we uh, we first started out as a uh, direct action organization, bringing uh, the grassroots patient advocates out to uh, the places where these raids were happening to oppose them and make our voices heard, be vocal about what was going on. Uh, but we've since uh, changed into a, a broader advocacy group that uh, addresses educational issues and lobbying issues as well as litigation uh, that would affect a, a large number of patients. Uh, both at the state level and across the country. Uh, your, your last guest hit on um, uh, a case that we uh, have, have been fighting in the federal courts around the reclassification of marijuana from a, a dangerous drug with no medical value 
to one uh, that has, uh, you know, that we recognize has some some medical benefits to uh, hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions, around the country. Well, I think there's certainly evidence that there is some medical value to marijuana, uh, and and we can let's talk about some of the uses. Then we're going to get into uh, discussing alternatives and what makes marijuana important to add to our formularies as an option. So just looking at medical marijuana use, it's we, we were talking about how it relieves nausea and vomiting uh, a little earlier in the show. It's also great as an appetite stimulant, and that's been used both uh, in people in chemotherapy as well as HIV patients who have lost their appetite and their, what we call in medicine, the ability to thrive. Uh, it seems to be useful in glaucoma. There's evidence that it decreases intraocular pressure uh, for pain relief and chronic pain cases. And interestingly, for multiple sclerosis patients, there's been some use and evidence that it may help with muscle spasticity, the stiffness that the multiple sclerosis patients get. And one of the more recent things that I saw in preparing for the show was really interesting to me that it seems to downregulate a gene that causes more rapid spread of breast cancer. So there's evidence that patients with breast cancer may have benefit in decreasing the chance of that cancer spreading throughout their body with the use of marijuana. So, you know, the effects of it are, are many. I think part of the problem is we don't really understand all their effects. It's hard to study, uh, I think partly because of federal law. It's been a very difficult thing to create organized studies. Is this a, a chicken and an egg problem uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, where do you start with with trying to study and establish that it's useful? What's been the struggle? I, I don't I don't think it's a chicken and egg uh, issue at all, actually. And I want to clear up uh, something that the, the previous guest mentioned about the lack of. Uh, of support from the medical community. In fact, we have a number of national organizations that, uh, or large uh, medical associations that have called for the reclassification of, of marijuana, including the American Medical Association, the California Medical Association, the American Nurses Association, and the premier organization who's been doing medical marijuana research over the past uh, almost 10 years, which is a Center for Medical Cannabis Research. Uh, one one uh, health condition that you left out uh, for which probably the vast majority of patients use uh, marijuana is chronic pain. And more than 100 million Americans suffer from chronic pain in this country and uh, unfortunately have uh, very few effective solutions. Uh, most of them uh, are toxic. Uh, high pharmaceutical loads can be extremely damaging to, to patients. The side effects are so numerous as to completely outstrip uh, those marginal effects that you might experience from, from marijuana use. And certainly uh, there's been no evidence that, that marijuana causes cancer. In fact, uh, there, uh, as you have mentioned, a number of medical conditions for which people uh, find benefits. Uh, so, um, so now what you think is you're, you're talking about, uh, and, and this is, this is actually established in, in some of the research that's been done on the use of medical marijuana, which is the alternative for people that, that have pain and chronic pain is they take medications like Vicodin, Percocet. These are opioids that are established as being addictive and, and have, uh, detrimental effect when used for long term. 
the use of marijuana has decreased the amount of those kind of pills that people have to take, and that alleviates the potential damaging effects long-term of those opioids by using cannabis. But now let's talk a little bit before I go on to my next guest about the difference between smoking versus ingesting, because uh, David Evans was earlier speaking about uh, there not really being a need for smoking. And I think it, it's a it's a valid point if you can take it other ways, just as a doctor, it's better not to smoke if you can ingest, if you're getting similar effects. So what are your thoughts on the medical use of cannabis and cannabinoids when they're ingested versus smoked? Well, ingestion is is a method that's used by quite a few people, but let me underscore that that smoking is not a it does not lack efficacy or viability as a method uh, of intake, uh, and and people have been doing it as you mentioned earlier in your program for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. That is smoking it. Uh, but you can ingest it for people who have issues with, uh, let's say, bronchial or pulmonary issues. They may be better off ingesting it. However, um, a significant distinction between uh, ingesting, you know, through the digestive system and smoking, is uh, is issues of titration. Uh, whereas Marinol that comes in a pill, which which is found to be ineffective for a large number of of patients, they would prefer to smoke it. Uh, is because uh, of, of a couple of reasons. One is the time it takes to take effect. Uh, if you ingest a drug, you have to, through, the, through your digestive system, you have to wait 45 minutes to an hour usually before it takes effect, whereas smoking it, you have nearly instant uh, effect from, uh, from that type of intake. Uh, also, um, the, the dose is easier to titrate by smoking it. Often, if you're ingesting something uh, of, of unknown concentration, it's difficult to to uh, have a dose that you know is going to be effective for you and, and won't be too much or too little, uh, and you won't have to wait for it to take effect in order to figure that out. Well, I mean, in fairness, uh, it, you know, medically speaking, it's it's hard to, to when you talk about titrating. Obviously, people that smoke it on a regular basis can get a sense for how much they need to smoke to get the effect they're looking for. But that's that's kind of the titration by trial and error. It's not as precise as saying, you know, take this dose by pill and it's going to do the job. So I think, you know, in fairness, it's probably easier to to titrate and to give precise dosing when it's prepared for medicinal use and being ingested in pill form or some other method. Now, you know, we do, we don't, I'm not aware of any other drug that we smoke to uh, to you to use, but you know, medically, I mean, but we do inhale lots of different drugs, and that's a, not an uncommon delivery system, particularly for uh, rapid onset. You know, we'll we'll have inhalers for all kinds of things uh, that will give you better absorption and better onset. So, you know, maybe the answer is we can get some sort of aerosolized version of this that doesn't have, you know, so you don't have to roll a joint and smoke it to get your effects, and maybe that's the future. Let me introduce our next guest. Speaking of rolling joints, we're going to get bring our next guest on, and then we'll have a panel discussion. Uh, our next guest takes it one step further. Now, you know, we've had our discussion uh, about medical use, and now let's talk about recreational use. So I want to introduce Alan St. Pierre. He is the executive director of Normal, uh, and uh, you know, let, let's talk about recreational use. Alan, thanks for calling in. Thanks for ha- coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. 
Well, tell us, what is NORML? The acronym stands for the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, founded in 1970 to effectively move society from then a 10% support rate for legalization to today about 50% support. And we can see from the states of Colorado and Washington in the recent vote, 55% of voters there voted for legalization. So it's been a 42-year effort to educate the public that using marijuana is not a moral turpitude. It is an incredibly valuable, safe, and non-toxic drug, and that the industrial use of it um, in the form of hemp makes common sense. All right. Now, we were just talking about medical use. Tell me, in your view, and I'm sure that, that you support and normal supports medical use, Tell me where you make the leap. Where's the, how does the logic extend when you're saying, well, it's okay for medical use and, and, you know, geez, why don't we just make it generally legal to use? Where's that leap of logic? Well, the leap of logic uh, breaks down pretty simply on what does the user want to use it for. Um, I would suggest that for every nine marijuana consumers in the United States, one needs it and wants to use it for legitimate medical need. That leaves eight cannabis consumers, like myself, who want to use it for recreation, spiritual purposes, whatever, and more often than not, in the privacy of our homes. So what we've been arguing for 42 years is the government has to have remarkable, compelling state interests to violently enter our homes to get us to stop engaging in a particular behavior. And the juxtaposition I'd like to use here is the one that I end most of my college lectures with. I'm 47 years old. When I was born, the Surgeon General came out and said, you shouldn't smoke tobacco. It's an unwise health decision. So here we are all these years later, and the use of this deadly, addictive substance has been cut in half. Did we arrest anybody for this? Did we have to analyze people's excrement? Did we have to take away student loans, destabilize our borders, have remarkable racial uh, disparity in our criminal justice system? No. How did we achieve this very important public health goal of this most addictive substance humans interface with and the most deadly? Well, we didn't arrest people. We didn't take that beautiful constitution and twist it into a pretzel. We used verifiable and credible public information and education we didn't use the D.A.R.E. program, for example, in the public schools, which was ridiculous, or the biggest failed anti-drug, or should I say propaganda campaign in human history, the so-called Partnership for a Drug-Free America. How did we achieve this? Along with the education, we have what is called progressive taxation in tobacco use. Uh, David lives in New Jersey. In the New Jersey, New Jersey, New York area, you have to pay 9 to $11 for a pack of cigarettes. 90 to 95% of that is taxes. And we did that as a society to create the threshold price for youth so that they're not using it. So okay. Along so let me ask you, so with all, with all this argument, I follow where you're going, and I have to ask you, is this, for you personally and or for normal as an organization, is this more of a social rights issue or is it, a, is it an issue specifically related to marijuana? Oh, it's a civil rights issue. This is having to do with individual choice and liberty, and where does the government choose to violently 
enforce its laws. I'll just remind, 800,000 Americans interfaced with their government last year because they chose to use marijuana. There's approximately 100,000 of our brothers and sisters in cages because they sold, cultivated, or used marijuana. So now when Normal started this debate in 1970, it sued the federal government not to legalize marijuana, but to reschedule it, and not because there was a single medical marijuana patient standing behind us in 1972 in a federal courthouse. It was because the Controlled Substances Act, in scheduling marijuana at Schedule One with heroin and LSD, you don't have to have a law degree, you don't have to have a medical degree or a pharmacological degree to figure out marijuana is totally misscheduled at Schedule One. So we've seen this long slog over the years of society in public we can see from the votes 18 states now have medical marijuana public polling indicates 70 to 80 percent of the public want medical access so david is in a very small minority of individuals who don't appreciate medical cannabis and strongly oppose it what i presume is certainly more for moral reasons than for pharmacological ones well, and I understand what you're saying. I have to point something out that I think is a little bit overstated. I think, David, uh, earlier you did say that you support the medical use of cannabinoids. It's just the smoking of marijuana that you're specifically against when it comes well, to medical no, use. I, I support any medicine that's been approved by the FDA. I mean, I think we should explore uh, all plants uh, You know, that could have medicinal value, but go through the FDA process first. That's a consumer protection that has helped us for over a hundred years we have the best medicine approval process in the world and uh, why not why not put cannabis through that but David um, you gave because, David you gave it away from the beginning when you responded to the good doctor's question that the FDA doesn't allow smoked medicines you know that I know that so this is a fait accompli that you are telling us in this audience that... Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just got through talking about Marinol and Chesmet and Sadovix, none of which are smoked. The FDA permitted those. Uh, you but just I just made the point, but yeah, but they're not going to... You know, they're not going to accept. They're not going to accept. All right, all right, all right. You know what? David, <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right, guys. David, guys, David, guys, David guys, we gentlemen. will not live long enough. We won't live long enough to see any smoked material get through the FDA. Do you agree or disagree? Uh, well, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. But the FDA has not David. smoking. <laughs> David, all right, guys, guys, they're not going to approve it. Let's Doctor, take a moment. Give, give me a second. I warned you about Mr. St. Pierre that he has a tendency to try to overtalk the other guests. And that's fine. Please we're, finish we're gonna my come, point. We're going like to come. I'd like to finish my point. You will. I promise uh, you'll, you'll get your time to finish the point. I'm going to take a okay. short commercial break. When we come back from commercial, we're going to be doing a roundtable discussion. All three of you will get your chance to give your piece. And uh, we're going to have to respect each other's time. And I'll explain during the break to all of you how we're going to do that. When we come back, we'll be continuing this very lively discussion about the controversy with marijuana. Join us in just a few moments back on New Reflections. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. Make sure you do your homework. Why? This is not my car I'm working on. I may settle for an okay job on that, but I won't settle for anything less when it comes to my body. Do your homework. 
My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust. You can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. That's 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard in the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to the show. We've been having a terrific discussion, a very lively discussion about the controversy in the legalization of marijuana, whether for uh, medicinal use or for recreational use. And we, just before we went to break, uh, we were having a, a discussion that was going back and forth between our two guests, David Evans, who's an attorney and expert on drug and alcohol litigation, and Alan St. Pierre, the executive director of Normal. And David, I promised you you'll get to finish your piece and here's your time. Oh, thanks very much. Uh, you know, I'm in favor of the FDA process. It was developed 100 years ago when uh, marijuana and other uh, things like that were used as uh, patent medicines. They proved to be largely ineffective and harmful, uh, despite, you know, anecdotal reports. And this is what we have about marijuana's medicine, a lot of anecdotal reports. The FDA protects us. It protects our children. When you go and get a drug at a pharmacy, you get a package insert. Uh, talks about the dosage, cross-reactivity, uh, 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 any other thing you need to know about this medicine to protect yourself. We don't have that kind of information with smoked marijuana. And it's dangerous to approve something as a medicine that has not been thoroughly studied. Uh, the FDA process is not perfect. And when uh, the FDA screws something up, the number one charge against the FDA if they screw something up about a medicine is you didn't study it enough before you approved it. So... There's no reason why marijuana's medicine can't go through the FDA process. Uh, there's a marijuana medicine right now, Sativix, that's doing that. Uh, nobody in the federal government is stopping them or interfering from that. Sativix has been approved in several other countries, and I completely support that process. Okay, so really it's, it's more of just due process and, and analyzing uh, just like any other drugs. We, we get where you stand on that. Now let's... Let's go through some of the, the controversial topics that are related to marijuana. And I want to, each of you to, to say your piece. We're going to take our time rotating. Each of you is going to get your uh, two-minute piece of time to, to state your position on this. And then if we have rebuttals, we'll, we'll go back and forth, and everyone will get a little bit of time to have their responses to each other's points. Now, uh, we're going to start with David. And you were talking about this. We, you and I were discussing this at the beginning of the show. 
that judgment gets impaired when you're using marijuana and that uh, it can be argued that medical use and certainly recreational use could lead to decreased judgment leading to injuries both at the work at the workplace and uh, whether it's in the home or out in in public so talk to me about your views on the effect of marijuana on judgment and the potential for injury and how that plays into uh, the debate on legalization or not well let's just start about school I mean if you want your kid to do well in school I don't think you'd be recommending if they smoke marijuana um, uh, Clearly now it's got uh, what can be permanent damage to a young person's brain if they use marijuana. Uh, we have more and more drug and driving incidents. Uh, England, Great Britain, had liberalized their marijuana policies. They're now going back to uh, criminal possession because they had so many problems with mental illness and marijuana. The Netherlands is doing the same thing. They're closing down the marijuana shops because they've had an increase in crime, an increase in social disorder. And in the United States, we're having an increase in addiction. Uh, you know, during the Bush years, we were able to reduce marijuana use among young people by 25%. If we had that kind of success with any other health care problem, we would be very, very proud of it. Um, we have uh, data on industrial accidents, uh, emergency room uh, trauma. Uh, uh, earlier, there was a talk that uh, maybe as many as 25 million people use marijuana. Probably about 200 million people use alcohol, and yet uh, we see uh, a lot of uh, emergency room-related trauma dealing with marijuana. According to the Drug Abuse Warning Network, uh, almost 100,000 young people under the age of 25 came into an emergency room saying that they're there because of some connection with marijuana. Uh, the normal puts out a lot of data about arrests. I have been a criminal defense attorney since the 1970s. Um, it is just absolutely untrue that there are hundreds of thousands of people lingering in prison because they sell small amounts of marijuana. The average amount of marijuana that somebody's in federal prison for is 115 pounds. That is a major trafficker. Less than 1% or 2% of the inmates in state prison are there because of marijuana, and usually it's because they were charged with a more serious offense and uh, entered a guilty plea to the marijuana offense. Um, All right. Well, I'm sorry, David. That, that's our that's our two minutes. All excellent points. We're starting to keep us on schedule, so we all get an equal bit. Uh, Chris, you've heard David's feeling on this, and we're talking about uh, the impairment of judgment leading to injury. So, uh, you know how that impacts us socially, and even with medical marijuana use, that might be important. So, what are your feelings about the impairment of judgment and how that? may play into the decisions to allow marijuana use. Well, from from my understanding, the examples that uh, David is using uh, regarding the numbers of people uh, in emergency rooms, uh, the increase of, of uh, dangers and, uh, and accidents uh, that have occurred uh, are largely um, marginal with regard to marijuana use and, and more primary for uh, other drugs in the system such as alcohol. And, and I think that uh, the numbers of, of uh, accidents that stem directly or, or exclusively from marijuana use are, are very, very minimal. Uh, and so I think that a, a lot of the statistics that are being put forward are, are statistics meant to scare the public and to um, 
you know, shift the opinion of the vast majority of American people in favor of medical marijuana, and that's upwards of 80% of the American public, uh, to one that fears this substance. And, you know, if we've spent uh, decades with uh, high levels of usage of marijuana throughout the country, you'd expect there to be much more damaging effects, and we just haven't seen that uh, uh, in the uh, borne out in the evidence. Okay, well, fair point. Uh, now, uh, Alan, you've heard the discussion about judgment and how it may impair, may become impaired with the use of marijuana. And if you're a proponent of uh, recreational use, it becomes more widespread that way. And so do you think that's going to lead to more injury? How does that impact the decision as to whether or not it should be allowed? Well, already today, as indicated, about one out of seven Americans are using it. One out of three young people between the ages of 15 and 25 have been using it. For 30 years at these rates, prohibition has been an abject failure at deterring youth from engaging in such. People should not drive while impaired. That's common sensible. People shouldn't be around children and be in the workplace. This is all common sensible. The local mores and values that we have in this country regarding when and where people can be impaired, whether you use a pharmaceutical, whether you use alcohol, whether you use marijuana, is all the same. There is no reason to to uh, break up the mentality that the responsible user, whether they're a medical user or recreational user, brings to it. Normal has said for 25 years, if you drive a car impaired, you should face the same sort of reasoned civil and criminal penalties that one would have for alcohol, just using clear juxtaposition here. A couple of points that David raised. NIDA, the National Institute on Drug Abuse, and he knows this, will not study the therapeutic use of marijuana, period. So the idea that they study cannabinoids is true, but they will not study cannabis in its holy form. So the scientific methodology is totally flawed from the beginning, totally biased. Second, in our lovely world of the Internet today, anybody can go to PubMed.gov and read upwards of 22,000 studies having to do with cannabis and cannabinoids. And if you're someone like myself who's read and archived those, it's pretty quick to figure out that the DEA's chief administrative law judge was correct when he ruled in normal versus DEA that cannabis is the safest therapeutic active substance known to man. It has no lethal dose rating. Uh, it has an LT50 rating, meaning that we've never been able to measure its lethal dose. So from a pharmacological point of view, that would make it a remarkably safe drug you'd be immediately attracted to. All right. Well, perfectly on time. I appreciate that. Now, you raised an important point that I want to have everyone discuss again, and we're going to go uh, through the panel again in rotating order. I'm going to have Chris begin this discussion, and uh, Alan, you were, you were touching on this. One of the arguments about legalizing marijuana is that, and, and, and Alan has been making this point on a couple of occasions, that there should be no difference between marijuana and alcohol and cigarettes that you know sure that you you can argue that there are bad elements of marijuana use potentially if it's used irresponsibly but why should that be different than alcohol and cigarettes so let's talk about the contrast of marijuana use alcohol use and cigarettes and of course alcohol and cigarettes are legal and are imbibed upon by hundreds of thousands of citizens across the country on a, a daily, if not hourly basis. So, Chris, let's start with the discussion of, is there a difference between marijuana, alcohol, and cigarettes that is material and should allow them to be treated differently? 
Well, uh, you know, I'm not an expert on recreational use, but I can certainly tell you from from a, a medical standpoint that there is a significant difference between marijuana, alcohol, and tobacco. Uh, and specifically the latter two are much more harmful to the human body uh, than marijuana is. And, and Alan alluded that, that uh, the government's own uh, Drug Enforcement Administrative uh, Law Judge ruled as such. Um, so you, you have uh, an enforcement apparatus that is cracking down on this relatively benign substance in such an aggressive way as to lock up uh, millions of people over the decades in, in a very racist and harmful way to our society. Uh, so certainly that's not necessary. Uh, and, and we've been pushing for uh, probably uh, as long as we've been around, Americans for Safe Access has been pressuring the federal government to adopt a sensible public health policy with regard to, to medical marijuana. And certainly that would allow uh, officials across the country to regulate this substance as it sees fit to uh, you know, control any potential dangers that, that might arise from its use, but certainly address it in, in a manner that is uh, compassionate and, and uh, addresses uh, the public health aspect of, of this drug. Okay. Uh, Alan, you had touched on this a little bit. I'll, I'll give you a, a little bit of time to expound upon it. Well, just simply, for example, uh, in the many hundreds of folks I've debated in the 20-plus years I've been working at Normal, including David, oddly, none of he and his co-patriots have been willing to take the normal challenge. You drink a quart of distilled spirits in front of me and the audience, and I'll smoke every nanogram of marijuana in the city where we're in. Oddly, they've never taken that challenge. Why? Because the person who will drink the distilled spirits will either be in a coma or dead. I will have very dry mouth, very red eyes, much enhanced appetite. I will go to bed. I will wake up eight hours later with no hangover and ready to go. That's how safe when we juxtapose cannabis to alcohol. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting point. So now, David, you're uh, bringing up the, the 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 rear with this, and you're the last word on the topic. Tell me, when we're looking at marijuana versus alcohol versus cigarettes, why should they be treated differently? Well, first of all, I've, I've never understood the argument that um, because we have two massive social problems that we should commit another one to come in and be just as bad. I've never gotten that argument. The reason that marijuana appears not to be as destructive is because so many fewer people use it than use tobacco and use alcohol. Uh, we have about 200 million plus people in the United States who use alcohol on a regular basis. Uh, according to the data earlier, only about 25 million use marijuana. Um, if it's legalized, what's going to happen is that it's going to be sold, it's going to be promoted, Madison Avenue is going to get involved. Uh, they're going to do the same thing that Big Tobacco did, which is try to push it on kids. Um, big Tobacco is already, uh, we have testimony from Big Tobacco that came out in a recent court case that they're already planning on moving into the marijuana business. So that's going to mean Super Bowl ads for pot, uh, and they're going to do everything they can to increase their market share. Uh, right now, marijuana is the number one drug that kids are in drug treatment for in the United States. Uh, it is addictive, and we have, I represent several drug treatment facilities, uh, in my law practice, and they're full of kids that are addicted to marijuana. 
So it is addictive. It's involved in a lot of uh, trauma situations. Uh, marijuana uh, has the worst aspects of alcohol and tobacco. Uh, it's damaging to the body, toxic to the body, and also messes up your mind. Uh, and uh, it should remain illegal. Now, am I in favor of putting everybody who smokes a couple of joints into jail? Absolutely not. I think what should be done is what we have in New Jersey, which is what's called the conditional discharge program, that if you're caught with any illegal drug in a small amount, you get put on a probation and possibly um, asked to go to treatment. And by the way, for young people, this would include alcohol. Uh, and we deal with it and try to get the person to stop using the substance. Um, you don't have uh, okay, to I'm going to have to... Records. I'm going to have to cut that short. It, it, these are all good ideas, and we can see where you stand on this. Uh, and it, it, these are all reasonable arguments. But you mentioned one thing that I want to bring a little bit of light to. Is we're not going to have time to discuss it across the panel, but there is, the idea that marijuana is addictive is a little bit controversial. It can be said to be psychologically addictive. It's quite controversial if it is, it is in any way physically addictive. And there's evidence to show that it, it may not be physically addictive. Now, I'm not an expert in drug use and drug treatment, but uh, you know, in terms of medical facts, it is not an established medical fact that marijuana uh, yes, it is, is doctor. And um, uh, you know, as I start out, doctor, you're wrong. Today, <laughs> I talked about I talked about how the public perception of marijuana is about 30 years old. If you look at the recent data, there was an excellent article in the Wall Street Journal about this just recently. Uh, it's clear that it's addictive. The uh, David, University. David, can you, Alan, David, this is a reality check. David, this is a reality uh, you know, Alan, there's no reason to get personal and insulting about this, and I think right. that that's right. the fact that you like Chris and me in, of, you know, you know, David, you the fact that you would like Chris and me in jail is offensive. The fact that All you right. would want Chris and me in jail because we use cannabis is offensive. All right, gentlemen, gentlemen, hold on, uh, guys, guys, let's all let, let's relax, let's relax. Okay, uh, David, I, I David, I, I appreciate your tenor. Just give me a second. Uh, let's go ahead and round up because we only have a, a few more minutes left, and there's something that I want to I want to touch on. And you know, the question is, let's let's discuss where we should draw the line. Clearly, David, your line is is drawn. Uh, well, you can you can. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm going to let Alan begin this discussion. It's his turn to start the roundtable. The question is, where do you draw the line? If you're going to say that marijuana is okay to use, how long is it going to be before someone comes up and says, well, hey, you know, cocaine, you know, if it's used in your own home, heroin, you know, if you're using it in your own home and it's used responsibly, where do you draw the line? Uh, so, Alan, speak about these that for easy, a bit. Thank you. These are easy questions to answer. Number one, we already draw that line in society. Most people in society use alcohol, tobacco, caffeine and marijuana. Very few people will ever go on and try heroin or cocaine. According to government data, for every 102 people who use marijuana, one goes on to use heroin or cocaine. So there is no gateway effect or stepping stone. Number two, with the First Amendment today, we have, mer we have uh, High Times, we have Cannabis Culture, we have Skunk Magazine, we have hundreds and hundreds of web pages having to do with marijuana. Do we have any web pages that glorify or argue for the use of heroin or cocaine or LSD? No. Culturally in this country and around the world, 
cannabis is accepted, not heroin or these other drugs. So thankfully, I say also thankfully, in America, we freeze our drug use at these soft drugs, and unfortunately, very few, thankfully, very few of our brothers and sisters will go on and experiment and go on to abuse these other drugs. There is no gateway from marijuana to a hard drug. Okay, fair point, and that, by the way, is is a also a controversial topic, but has been supported in literature. Now, David, your turn for uh, rebuttal and your point on this. I'm giving you one minute because we're coming to the end of the show. Where do we draw the line? I think that we draw the line where it is currently drawn and keep these substances. These substances are illegal uh, because they are dangerous. And if we look at the experience elsewhere, in Europe, for example, uh, they are reversing their pro-marijuana policies because they've had so many problems. The Dutch government actually, uh, in writing, apologized to the United Nations because they had taken the position that marijuana was benign. Uh, where is it going to go? In Europe right now, they are organizing drug addict unions. Uh, they are actually discussing uh, people getting a license to be able to use heroin and other drugs like that. Uh, that's how far this can go. And I don't think we want to go there. Uh, you know, we can use the criminal justice system to get people into treatment and to uh, use that as an opportunity to intervene in a young life and stop them from the spiral of addiction. Uh, marijuana is clearly addictive. It's clearly a gateway drug. I've never known a heroin addict who didn't smoke pot first. And tobacco, by the way, is a gateway drug. Okay. Well, I think our time is up for that. I do yeah. want to make one point on that because in doing research for the show, I did look into the gateway theory and not. It's a little bit circular reasoning, the point that you're making. And I just want to point this out for fairness uh, because we're not going to have time for rebuttal. It is it is fair to say that people that use harder drugs, uh, for the most part, have used marijuana in, in a significant percentage of cases. However, it is far less common to say that someone that uses marijuana has gone on to use harder drugs. So the, the, it, there is not supporting evidence in the forward direction from marijuana to harder drugs that it is a gateway. It's a little bit circular to say that people that use harder drugs have used marijuana as well, and therefore that's how they got started. So I think that's not entirely a fair argument. Well, there was now, a 25-year longitudinal study that was published by Congress that says that it is a gateway um, you know, to our right. uh, uh, fair, fair point, fair point, David. But time. Let me let me give Chris his time. We're going to come to the end of the show. Chris, I know you're you're our expert for medical marijuana use. And by the way, cocaine itself is used as a drug. Uh, we used to use it, in fact, in rhinoplasty cases to help with vasoconstriction in the nose right before doing a, a nose job procedure. So, uh, Chris, tell me your your views as you see uh, the differences between marijuana, alcohol, and cigarettes. I think David's doing a disservice to uh, the, the Chinese and, and Indians who have been using this substance, uh, smoked, by the way, for hundreds if not thousands of years. Um, even in the United States, uh, around the turn of the century, uh, uh, companies like Eli Lilly, uh, who, who, as many know, is a, a large pharmaceutical company, uh, was producing an extracted form of, of marijuana that used the plant. It was not FDA, well, there was no FDA regulation at that point, uh, and it was used even by children uh, as a remedy uh, for a variety of medical conditions. Uh, so we do have evidence that marijuana is being used, and, uh, you know, it was placed arbitrarily in Schedule One position in the early 70s by Richard Nixon, 
despite recommendations from the Schaefer Commission that he himself uh, convened in order to figure out where to place marijuana. It's been a political football ever since, and uh, we argue that it's uh, misclassified and have been uh, trying to reclassify it to a more appropriate schedule uh, because it is uh, both a relatively benign substance and of incredibly uh, beneficial medical use or value. Uh, we'll continue that fight. Uh, we lost recently in the D.C. Circuit to reclassify marijuana, but we're not giving up, and uh, people like uh, David uh, will not get in our way, and we'll continue to uh, push for this important uh, medical breakthrough. Uh, and, um, uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to thank everybody. We are at the end of the show. It's been a terrific discussion. Of course, we didn't solve any problems today, but we certainly had a very lively and informative discussion about it. I want to thank my guest, David Evans, attorney and expert in drug and alcohol litigation. I want to thank Chris uh, Hermes, who is a social activist and representative from Americans for Safe Access, fighting the cause for medical marijuana access, and Alan St. Pierre from Normal, trying to push the cause of the appropriateness of recreational use of marijuana, trying to liberalize the access and use of marijuana in the United States. This has been New Reflections. We've been discussing the smoke up or smoke out, the marijuana controversy. Coming up in future shows, we're talking about websites to give you information about plastic surgery. What can you trust? Where can you look? Stem cell therapy. What's the latest in stem cell therapy? We're talking about breast revision surgery, a technology update, new light and laser techniques, and more. Coming up in future shows, join us every week, 12 to 1, Eastern, 9 to 10 Pacific, on New Reflections. Thanks for listening. We hope you stayed informed and entertained today on New Reflections. Please join your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein, again next Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You can also email the doctor at info at dr-rubenstein.com or visit his website at www.dr-rubenstein.com. And don't forget to join us next Saturday for new reflections on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a beautiful weekend.